0: it's time to take a break from your day and let us build it in a positive way this is break and build with brad and billy welcome back everybody we are in episode 13 halloween month coming up soon so episode 13 timing it up brad's favorite number and we're all about my favorite number seven (laughs) but my (laughs) birthday is on the 13th so it's close there you go so I know Brad's numbers, uh, favorite number seven, obviously. We've been doing a lot of business together for a long time. <laughs> Six and seven are our Six favorite numbers. So today we're going to get more into Brad. And Brad left us off talking about how he's done big events for big companies. Um, going from basically rewinding you guys, uh, a job at a detail shop, opening opening his own detail company working at Walgreens for a manager. And now Brad's all the way into like pretty high level productions, meaning he's virtually a TV producer for a video game company, which is incredibly awesome. So Brad's leveraged himself and he's dropped a ton of amazing Easter eggs. If you guys haven't watched last episode, you need to watch it because there's a lot of knowledge you can take away, especially if you're trying to level yourself up. And now we're going to start going into Brad's story. So I think where we left off, we we were talking about like just kind of like the high res intro events so maybe we can go into like you know what it takes to run like you know because we did the first event which we talked about with bonafide that's where everything went haywire with agl and everything that was brad's first production live super live like big event correct yeah and that and that event it's
1: you can say it's a big event but then like you look at worlds which is like you know a world championship the the next year after that and then every year since exactly it's which it's scaled to be you know 10 times bigger than that um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean so we take
0: had, us take us through the progression of you starting at worlds mm-hmm. uh for the first event which was i mean it was pretty cool right like that was the biggest event you did at the time yeah so it was, right? like,
1: yeah so launch tournament is where it all started and then mm-hmm. after that it, it was basically like these small regional smaller regional events where there was like mm-hmm. six to eight teams from north america or six or eight teams from europe and we were basically traveling around Europe to have events like every three months, and then having one in America every three months. So it was this huge, just like year, two years of traveling, doing all these regional separate events um, at at kind of that scale, working with just third party countries around or third party studios around the countries um, to put on these small events because it's really hard to like move all of your gear and stuff like that. So you got to find studios that know what you're doing and work with these partnered companies and kind of teach them how your flow works and how the game works and everything like that. Um, So that kind of started off with ESL Studios. And ESL puts on a lot of um, very large events for third parties. And they do their own events for very large video games like um, CSGO and things like that. So very well-known company. That's kind of who we first partnered with um, when we were doing uh, events in other countries. and. the experience working with a third party like that is an eye-opener. So if you're ever used to doing things on your own and you have your own way of doing things, right?
0: Which Brad is a
1: pioneer of. (laughs) Like, you've got this mentality, and and this this goes for anything, right? If you cut your grass a certain way and then somebody else comes and cuts your grass, you ain't going to like how that grass gets cut. Like, you're just not going to. It's not going to be edged right. There's going to still be weeds. They cut it too short and now your grass is brown, right? Like, (laughs) there's so many things that can go wrong. So it's like you're working with this other company. You're going to a country that you don't, you've never been to. You're going to a studio you've never been to with your one or two staff members. And like, we had a, a computer with us. And. We get there and we have to teach them how all the game is going to work. They're fami- they're very familiar with esports, right? So they understand how esports mm-hmm. works in the general things like that. They have a nice studio. They have equipment, but they don't know how our game works. They don't know how our flow works or anything like that. So we have to teach the directors. And we have to teach all the graphic guys. Here's how our game works and everything like that. And then, you know, you're working with them for practice. And one of my biggest gripes that I get when I work with these third party companies is the setup time and the practice. So I am a stickler for getting into these events as early as possible, working as long as I have to to get stuff set up, and then having a long time to practice. Um, like I said before, like no matter how long you practice, how long you test stuff, stuff is always going to go wrong at an event. So getting the practice in is always good. Then you feel comfortable with the people you're working with when you're working with new people, you want that extra time as well because you just want to feel comfortable, right? It's like starting mm. a new job. Like you feel very uncomfortable day one and you got to warm up to people. You got to figure out routines. You got to get to know them. You got to develop relationships. It t- That doesn't happen overnight. Well, in mm. this industry, it needs to happen overnight basically because you don't have more than one or two days to develop those relationships and trust the other people that are going to be running this event with you. And so a lot of times with these third parties, they don't work at the speed that we were used to. So it would be a lot slower. It would be, you know, oh, we did this for six hours today. We're done, even though it's only a quarter of the way done. And we're like, oh, we're ready to work like a 20-hour day to just get this done and be done with this. We don't have to worry about anything. So what we found out is a lot of times you would be working until the wire and it would be like until... The second the event is about to start, you're still plugging cables in. You're still testing stuff, and then you Mm -hmm. have no practice because Mm -hmm. it just it's a lot slower. It's different work ethics. It's tons of different things. Um, So that was probably the biggest struggle that we always ran into with a lot of third-partner companies is we wanted stuff to function our way, and you can't force these other vendors and these other third-party partners to work at that speed. You just physically can't. They have their own agendas and what their work ethic is and their agendas are could be, you know, setting up a table and ours can be setting up 10 tables. Well, Mm -hmm. they're only going to work at their speed. It's not going to change. So then you have to figure out how to change just your whole mentality, your whole thought process, your whole workflow to be able to accommodate for that and Mm -hmm. not get stressed out because, that's putting a lot of extra pressure on you as a person when stuff is not going the way that you want it to go and it's not functioning at what you're used to. So you really have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to accept that everybody is not going to work at the same pace. Everybody's not going to, you know, function the same way. And honestly, like another way that I noticed as when I moved from Chicago down to the South, it's a very similar thing. Like up North, right. the work ethic up there and the speed that you work like, that's probably why I am the way I am, is, like, we're trained as employees to be dicks, like, nonetheless. Like, we are raised to be, like, these hot-headed go-getters that don't take no for an answer because mm-hmm. you're answering to higher powers. And it's such a cutthroat work environment up in the north because everybody is this go-getter, super-fast worker that like you're always at each other's throats and then you come down to the South and it's like, if you have that mentality, man, people do not like you. They do not like working with you. Like you're just in a really bad spot because everyone down here is way more laid back, way more mellow tone. Like it's, it's just like, it's slower. Right. Mm-hmm. And be being slower is not a bad thing. Like, let me preface it that, but you have to adjust. And then like, you're doing stuff fast. and It's like, you know, you get assigned 10 projects. It's like, I'm done in a day. And they're like, oh, that was like for two weeks of work. And you're like, oh, well, what am I supposed (laughs) to do then for the next two weeks? Like, that's not two weeks of work. Like, what is this? So wherever you grow up and wherever you start working and whatever, however, you know, you're raised, you're going to have these different, you know, work ethics and you know, ways that you want things to work. And Mm -hmm. as you get new jobs and as you move around and as you work with different companies and partners and vendors and all these things throughout your career and throughout your life, you're going to find out that it is not the same everywhere. And instead of getting frustrated with that, you have to adapt to it because if you get frustrated and you have that same mentality that you have at one place to another, you're not going to get along with their culture. You're not going to get along with a lot of stuff and you're just going to cause more problems for your stuff. You're going to end up getting frustrated and you're just going to go haywire. Mm-hmm. Um so like I think that that's something that you'll experience no matter where you go and it's something that we experience firsthand at every event we pretty much go to with vendors and with partnered companies. Um so it's it's a very good skill set to develop and just to be knowledgeable about and aware of that your way is not always going to be the way everybody else works. So you have mm-hmm. to adapt and you have to communicate.
0: So during that time frame do you think that you learned something that would benefit you guys from moving at a slower pace, or was it just uh, an adaption for that time frame? And then you would realize, like, hey, you know, obviously we don't do it like this, or were there any like takeaways that they maybe showed you a way to be more efficient because they weren't working at your speed?
1: I think really what we learned is we learned planning more becomes more important. Mm-hmm. So, like, the weeks and the months before the event having our ducks in a row and having mm-hmm. more stuff together, ready to go. So when you show up somewhere like 90% of the work is done. So then it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you encounter on site in that small limited time frame. you're able to handle it because a lot of the, a lot more work was done pre event. I, I think that it. that's kind of more what we learned, um, because, yeah, I mean, almost every event we've run into stuff like that, like a vendor shows up five hours late and our whole schedule's off, right? Mm-hmm. One electrical component in the event space when you're setting up goes wrong and it puts you behind six hours. You literally mm-hmm. just, like, you have to adapt to it. And to avoid that stuff, the more you can have done beforehand and be prepared for these things, then it's okay on site. Um, and sometimes you just have to know, like hey, we have to adjust things, we have to work later, or, you know, just move your
0: schedule around. But um, yeah, t- and the other thing, thats about it. Go ahead. No, okay. the other thing I was also hearing is you created a culture in your working environment, where it was like, you know, fast paced, efficient. And then in order to, you know, with a purpose of getting to the event to be able to prepare as much as possible so that you guys are prepared for anything that does go wrong if it if, if there's any type of uh, connection issues or whatever like that you know obviously you say everything always can go wrong and will go mm-hmm. wrong at some point or when goes wrong but in order for you to get to those events and I've witnessed it in my you know and obviously AGL and that was just the beginning it's like you know bust your butt for the first day to set up and then donate the second day if you only had two days to just practice and yep. do whatever it takes on the first day to be able to get that and so you know with you being the lead of this event stuff that's going on your culture of what you created in in that company was everybody just knew that this is how we're going to do it
1: yeah like on our side it was very much a once you get brought onto the team and you see like how we're doing and how we're working how we're prepping you just kind of know that that's the prepping that goes into it. Like everything has to be labeled, everything has to be organized, everything has to mm. have its own place. Um, just to limit the the chaoticness and, you know, keep it structured is really the, the main point of, of what it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So how did you guys go from, I guess, like, what was, what, how did your vision go from the launch tournament and, and to preface this, When we talk about the launch tournament, it was like it was more of like a theater, uh, old like rock bands. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been into a concert where you see maybe like not to say these guys are washed (laughs) up, but like something like Poison come these days. Right. Like they're typically not going to sell out this massive theater anymore. Like they're more of the local. The only reason I'm saying this is because I've seen a band. I've seen Poison in the exact same type (laughs) of studio. Uh, You know, where it's like, you know, it's kind of an older place, maybe built in the 1980s um no not really too many upgrades you know you totally know that it's like made for bars and concerts yeah it's like it's kind themed of got around like, a
1: bar right it's like a bar yeah. with seats is what it feels exactly
0: like, like yeah. you have this huge bar in the entryway and then you have this like you know stage whatever however the setup is and it's a little bit older no upgrades made you can totally tell that like you know it's just a rock band like yeah. you just it's come like a, here it's like
1: a club vibe right it's like yeah you're going totally to, it's, like, it's like you're in a club more than yeah. a big like you know football stadium
0: exactly you get there sober and you're like this place is gross until you have a couple (laughs) drinks and then you don't even realize where you're at anymore right so that's like the purpose of this venue and then we take it into one approximately a year later it's about a year year? later
1: it's 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 pretty close yeah
0: yeah so we take it to a year later and now we're at the Cobb energy convention center i believe that's the name and this place is like a state-of-the-art brand new facility that is gorgeous for one two completely different yeah and like it is just like this remarkable and so what goes on at this place typically is like symphony concerts Mm. and we have opera places so now we're going from like a beat up old bar rock venue to this like high level investor type symphony you know ambiance that is absolutely amazing when i walked into this place i couldn't even believe like the stark contrast of the two events so how did you take that, you know, to this incredibly new experience that like what I mean obviously it was a company-wide thing, but like the when I walked into there and saw the difference in production and like all the setup, it was just like, you know, there's been a lot of of planning to get that goes into this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the first it was the first world's event, so we knew that there was a lot that we kept, had to prove, right? And the biggest component to and that. When
0: you say prove like uh is there competition?
1: Um, I or would say... are, you,
0: are you just saying it to your own people? You want to show them that, like, esports is a thing for this game?
1: I think it's a little bit of everything, right? You have to prove it to you, the company you work for that you can do this and that the reason mm-hmm. that they've been investing in esports and stuff is for this reason and for this big event. So you can't fail. Like, failure is not an option in mm-hmm. this case. And then you have all these other esports companies that put on events, right? And. There's this hidden thing of when you look at another big event, you're just automatically competing with them, right? You're like, this is what they did. Can we do it better? Can we match it? When you watch something, oh, here's the mistakes we saw. Let's make sure we don't do those mistakes, right? It's it's no different than, you know, if you're a quarterback in the NFL and you want to get better stats than another quarterback. It's that same hidden competitive standpoint of you want to compete with the, the people that are bigger than you. On a, but on a scale that we can do, right? So you look at these mm-hmm. bigger events and you go, we want to be that. We know we can't be it, but how close can we get them? Can we put on a better show or as good of a show as them with less mm-hmm. staff and a lower budget? And then it's just to the players and the fans as well, right? Like these people that play the, play the games, watch the games, invest in the games, you want them to have this experience that they've never had before. and You want them to come to this event And walk away saying that is a staple point in my life that I will never forget. Like you Mm -hmm. want to create this memory for them. And we have the privilege of being able to create these memories for people from, you know, the signage when you're walking up to the door to Mm -hmm. the badge that you put around your neck to how you view it in the big screen and how you shake in your seats when things are happening right it's no different than if you are a star wars or a marvel fan and you go to a brand new movie in the movie theater you create the movie theaters and the people who make those movies are creating this experience for you to remember for the rest of your life so like that's that's what we're doing so you you have all these people that you want to impress and not let down and and make it happen so the, the scariest thing was it's a brand new venue that we've never been to. That's always a what-if factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's a lot of new technology, a lot of new screens, a, a lot of new vendors, a lot of new. That's what this event was. And so we had to figure out how do you take a lot of new and how do you make it to where it's not a lot of new. If, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like if there's 10 yep. new things how do we make it to where it only feels like there's two new things because we're confident that the other things are you know really good and really easy and gonna go smooth um so yeah i mean there's a there's a lot to it so um you know we don't run on big staff we were doing this with staff of people who've never done events like this so like we're all super green still we've only done the events that we've done throughout the year nothing of this size, nothing of this coordination. Um, But the team that we have is very good at figuring stuff out and they're very tech savvy and they're very good at problem solving. So we're confident that whatever is thrown at us, we're going to be able to figure it out. And when something happens, as long as it's not noticeable to the audience or it's not noticeable, you know, to the people viewing it's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's all, that's all you can do. And I mean, we learn a lot at every event. Every event, you're going to learn stuff. So all you can do is, is learn and take what you learn from that event and bring it to the next one. So um, there was a couple issues that, you know, were minor and a couple that were major. And, you know, we take what we learned from that and we go on to the next one and say, that's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of planning. Uh, I think that more planning could have actually been done for a lot of the events that we do. So typically what will happen is you want to plan these events like a year ahead of time and that almost never happens. Typically you are mm. planning an event of this caliber in like two to three months. Mm. Um, usually you have the venue locked in and then beyond that, like because you're so busy with other things and there's so much going on, you can't get focus on this these events until way closer to it. So then like you know, there's not enough time for you to change stuff or to have mistakes or to have any of these things go wrong. So it's definitely always very last minute planning. Um, and there's a lot of things that come together like the week beforehand. So, uh, it's, it's definitely a super active environment. Um, if you like that type of environment that is Mm -hmm. just always keeps you on your toes. It's, it's the place to be.
0: Cool. Cool. So I think that uh, one of the things I wanted to backtrack to, and I think this is really valuable for everybody to, to take in, um, it was when you were talking about looking at your competition, um, and I think that maybe people overheard the underlying message that you dropped in there, and they probably just took it as just compete with your competition. And re- in reality is what I heard is you look at what other people are doing, you figure that out, right? And then you say, hey, well, well, what? well, what, what have we done? It's like, it's like you compete with the competition, but in the end goal, like you only have onus to yourself and you have to obviously compete with yourself because if you're always competing with the competition, you can never like get better than where you've been. Cause you'll always be, I mean, you're never going to get better than the competition if you only just look at them because they're innovating and you're not you you compete with this last event they already have something new for this new event so you look at this and you're like okay well we really like this so you're taking two really powerful strategies you're taking modeling of somebody who's doing something that really works and then you're competing against yourself from the last event and then you're also like seeing okay well with this model what things do i think could be improved upon further than that so now you're innovating at a place where you can rapidly exponentiate your growth past somebody potentially in some regards, which I'm sure that you guys have succeeded in, in producing some type of new, you know, whether it be, you know, prompt, uh, I don't know, I mean, switching, whatever. I don't know. I don't know all your tech terms, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're creating a new, a new way to do something. And for us, the biggest part of that was we knew that we had less staff than most of these big mm -hmm. events. So that would be the first thing we'd always take in consideration where it's like these big events, that are going on have 30 to 50 people working on it okay we have 10 how do we do that and we would create a lot of automated automated systems we would mm-hmm. program a lot of stuff to where you can press a button and it does 10 people's jobs so mm. whenever we would see something we would say how is that done okay it's done with five people in this way how do we do that with one person mm. and so like that would be where we would innovate the most and i think where we have innovated the most is how do we keep the number of people on staff low? How do we bring in little to no contractors for events and be able to automate stuff to where it doesn't affect the stress on people or the flow of the show or the product? Um, so that would be the, the easiest thing that aligns with what you were saying.
0: Got it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's virtually it. I just want you guys to take away that and not overlook that. You know, maybe when I talk or when Brad talks, we drop some things. And these things are super impactful. And if you just overlook and just listen to the story, you may miss some of these key points that that, that go on behind the scenes. So now we got the first. How did the first tournament go?
1: Um, I mean, it went good. I mean, I didn't. I
0: I can't at remember the new anything. Huh? Yeah. At the new venue. At, at the yeah, Cob I mean, it went,
1: it went good. I can't remember anything for that one that was... Uh, a staple point of wrong or, or mm-hmm. that, or that, that happened. Uh, nothing in my mind calls out something at that event. So that event was successful and cool. it being successful, right. Allows the esports scene and my job to continue for the next five years. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just keep innovating on sets and events and things like that. And we can go into set building another time and design and, and stuff. But we continue kind of that path. And then what happened, um, about four years into it, we decided. So you guys have done
0: four years. So an event every, every year for four years, a
1: big event. Yeah. And then there were smaller ones. So like there's, there's a ton. I can't even tell you how many events, but we were traveling around the world. Like I said, all the time, we were doing smaller local events. Uh, we did a lot of charity events, um, as well, um, for like make a wish and red cross, um and child's play so we usually do one or two charity events every year um and those are super fun to do uh and then what happened was is we decided or whoever decided um that the esports division was going to kind of split off and mm-hmm. become their own company called Skillshot uh so this was a super exciting point in my career because we got to now be a part of creating an esports broadcast company that is not tied to a specific video game so mm-hmm. up to this point we've been tied to everything that hires is doing and we're not doing anything outside of it because like we are this internal production company we are there to fuel the fire of their esports and so now we we branch off we create this new entity Um, We're still doing all the high-risk stuff. We're, you know, still right next door to them in our own facility and building. Uh, But now we have the luxury to go out and work for other companies. Uh, So this is where it starts to get into working on other games and other companies. And the quick and dirty of it is the first event we got to do was a Halo event. No way. Yeah, so we went and we worked with UGC Uh, Uh, you know, with, with Matt who helped supply a lot of stuff for us during our halo ventures. Um, so
0: did you guys get the contract or the liberty to be able to work with Matt based on your previous relationship from AGL?
1: Um, that's the only reason that we knew him. So like, I think that if we didn't know each other, he probably would have been way more skeptical about bringing us in on that deal because he'd be like, who are these people just randomly wanting to. Come into my house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. But because we knew all the people, all the Halo, how it all works, they had this, they they needed some equipment. So, you know, we were able to help them out with equipment to make their main stream quality better. We were able to give them some more people to help them. And then we took on Halo 1. And this mm-hmm. is some crazy stuff. So I'll do this as fast as I can. Halo 1 came out in, I don't even know, 2000? or something like that so this game doesn't even have like a score in game to tell you what the score is or who's killing each other it doesn't tell you anything like you're just like playing
0: is this the remastered one or this is just straight on this is straight
1: xbox tube tvs wow so like nothing so we build this entire system out to support this and bring it to like this new digital age So we have this scoring system we build. We build all these graphics to show the weapon timers and all this stuff. So we we create all these graphics to show when like the rockets and the sniper are going to spawn. We do map intros for every single thing, Mm -hmm. uh, for every single like level. We create this whole custom scoring thing. And we're literally sitting there as people are dying, clicking buttons on which team (laughs) they're getting killed. And when a weapon would get picked up, we're manually pressing it. So like, me and my my team are just like, we're going ham on this. And like, we've never stared uh-huh. at a screen so hard to see right. what is happening in a game. Yeah. But it was such a cool thing because this is one of like the oldest video game communities out there. And they're like uh-huh. one of the most die hard competitive communities. So to be able to take something that's been around that long and reinvent it to be able to view it how you view esports now. Mm-hmm. Just it was a huge thing for the community, right? And it was just it was a huge thing to say, look, here's what we can do, because we had we had to prove ourselves, right? Nobody knew we could do anything outside of what we've been doing with Hires. So we had to go uh-huh. out and we had to say, look, what we can I know. do. <laughs> so, so so we come out of the gate like, look, we're gonna take this game that has no infrastructure for esports, has no yeah. spectator, has no stats, has no visuals that when you watch it you're just watching people kill each other and you have no idea what's going on. And we're yeah. going to make it a viewable esport. Never had done this before and we we did that. Like we successfully did it. It was phenomenal. And then we also ran a full open bracket, you know, free for all there and we streamed all the free for all with, you know, all the feeds and everything like that as well. So like we we came out hitting hidden super strong. And we made a name for Skillshot shot from day one. Nice. Um, so it was, it was really good. It was really good to get our foot in the door and be a part of that event. And then that kind of allowed us to start to branch out to bigger companies. And with the connections that we have, you know, just in the video game industry um, we had the opportunity to work with overwatch and mm-hmm. we worked with the Atlanta rain. So each overwatch team, you know uh a couple of them put on their own events in like the first season of the overwatch league stuff and we got to basically help represent the atlanta rain and be their home their like home stadium production company for yeah. the event um so because we'd done so many events in the cob we we looked at a bunch of venues we worked with them and now this was this was crazy because our job was the in-house experience and what that means is if you are attending the event our job is to represent Atlanta Rain's home stadium. So if you go to any sporting stadium and you are there, the experience that you're going to have as a fan being in that stadium, that is what we had to come up with and create and control. So mm, we do, really we, we create everything from, you know, fan experience stations to signage to when you're sitting there and something happens in the game, what does the audience experience from audio to lighting uh, you know, commercial breaks we we did fun stuff in commercial breaks like chugging a, a coke because um, coke was like a sponsor there so you would you would chug like a, a coke um slushy because they had a slushy station uh-huh. there so you know you're gonna get a brain freeze from that so it's like we would do like fun little commercial breaks like if you went to a sporting yeah. thing like the kiss cam or the t-shirt yeah. gun thing literally the exact same thing but for video games is what we were creating and it was, it was just next level. Like the sponsors that they had and the small little cool segments we got to do um, really got it super hyped and we got to do a little concert and stuff like that. But then on top of that, so we create this whole fan experience and now the Overwatch team and all their production and all their TV trucks come in. So now we're coordinating with ESPN. Mm. We're coordinating with... Overwatch team who is sending out to ABC and the Disney channel and online on, on Twitch. So there's all these broadcasts and what they do. And this was like, this was just, it's crazy. So like they're doing a broadcast for Twitch and then they're doing a separate broadcast for TV. So they've got two sets of casters, two sets of desks, two sets of everything. Right. And they're doing two separate streams from two separate TV trucks that have to be running at the exact same pace. But the reason that they're separate is because the casters have to say different things for different channels, and there's Uh commercial breaks that line up differently. So it's like when they're coming into game, you have TV and the internet, two different trucks aligning themselves to go live, to go into game, to do all these things, to go to break. And now we're controlling all the in-venue screens, all the in-venue music, that whole experience... So while those two are coordinating online, we have to coordinate with them for everything that the fans are seeing in person and what's happening on the screens because that translates to what's in their camera shots and you know what can be heard over the caster mics, everything like that. So it's three separate productions, one in venue, one on TV, one on the internet, that all have to work oh gosh. together to put on the exact same show for different audiences. It's pretty nuts like i don't that even know how to explain it like nuts it is crazy so you've got and so then
0: were, were they like on different sides of the venue because they're in different you
1: know, trucks so they brought trucks Oh, in pr- the trucks. they're in trucks outside and then we're on we're backstage
0: so like, well, i'm talking about for the caster purposes because the caster different parts of the venue in- yep different okay, parts cool. of the venue and yeah. where's this taking place?
1: This was at at the Cobb Energy Center as well. So okay, the okay, venue okay. that we're familiar with. So yeah, there's different casters at different places with different camera shots. And one's going to TV, one's going to the, the internet. And then they would do mm. really crazy switches where they would have to switch. So like the first truck would run the first half of the day. And it's like, okay, we're only online, right? So we're only going online. The first truck is running everything and then your TV window is for like a 3 hour window and it's for like a, the match of the day right it's your home team Atlanta versus Orlando match and now the second truck has been prepping for that all day and mm. like th- because it's special and they have to do a different so now truck A has to kick it over to truck B without anybody knowing that it's a completely different team taking over the broadcast and it's just like yeah i've i don't know the coordination of it And like how many people are talking at once and knowing the voice you have to listen to is insane. But during this whole process and working with another company and another vendor like this, now they're our client, right? I'm not running the show. So they're our clients. So we go from running the show to having a client and doing everything that they want and making sure everything is perfect for them from designing the scenery to making sure the lighting is going to be good. Like we had to do all that exactly how they wanted it. And, you know, we did get to like, you know, have input on here's how we want the intro to be. And it was really good working with them because, you know, I got to throw my creativity into the process of the intro of the teams and the intro of the event and, you know, designing all this stuff. So it was really cool to be able to be a part of that. And what I found is I really did like working with clients like that because Mm -hmm. it took the pressure off me to have to come up with everything. And instead I was just making sure that everything was going to run and function correctly for them so it was it was a different role but it was a super cool role because Mm. they would be like hey this is wrong can you fix it cool i'm good at that i'll just go i'll go fix it i'll go find the people that can fix it like that's Mm -hmm. that's that's something that i'm just really good at is like coordinating all that stuff so it was this very very just different role but it was so enjoyable and the end product that came out of it was unbelievable like i've never seen fans like that in esports i've never heard the venue so loud like we're backstage behind like stuff that dampens the sound and like we're screaming to be able to hear each other because (laughs) it is so loud in there like i can't even tell you so like that was our first like big big boy experience of a really really big company as our client and it was awesome and then because we did so well with that, we were able to then work with Supercell with something. And this is kind of the last one that I'll wrap this up with. Supercell does Clash Royale. They do Brawl Stars, super big mobile game company. Okay. You know their games. They're on the top five of the mobile store nonstop throughout existence. You know who Supercell is. You probably play their game at some point, even if you don't know, you do. Um, so they have this new game that comes out and they're a client again and and in this instance, this game has no esports scene. So what we have to do is we have to develop an entire esports for this new game for them. We're like, cool, mm-hmm. we've done this with several games with, you know, high in the past. Like this is right up our alley. So we work with a client instead of ourselves to come up with an entire online esports plan for a new game. And it's really cool being able to take experience that you've developed over the past several years that, and when you're creating something for ourselves to be able to then put that towards somebody else and take everything that you've learned and all the mistakes that you've done and be like hey we can help you not make these mistakes because we've already made these mistakes so like mm. we know what's going to work what's not going to work we know you know the infrastructure we have to have for it. we know all these things and um you know, it wasn't an in-person event, but it was a full online experience and working with a client on a daily basis to get something like that to run for a whole year is a whole nother feat inside of itself. Um, so we just went along this, this whole thing of, of having these clients like this, super big name companies, we put our foot in the door and everything, and where this has ended up to this day is basically um Skillshot actually completely branched off from hi They're on their own, doing their own thing now. And Hi-Rez maintained an internal production company to do their games. So they kind of fully split. Hi-Rez wanted their in in-house stuff, which is still kicking to this day and going strong. Um and now I actually don't do production anymore. So I actually am now on the video game side of things, working on games and be, you know, being a part of the design process for video games and the publishing process of video games. So my career this year has taken complete turn off of everything that I've done my whole life and I've now been learning an entirely new thing. So it's like starting a new job all over again. Um but if there's one thing that I know it's from all of that stuff and working with all those clients and working with all those vendors and understanding how everybody look, functions differently and what it's like to develop those relationships. Every time you're working at a new event, I was able to take everything that I learned from that and have that in the back of my mind when I'm in this new position and on a brand new team that has no idea who I am and knows I don't have any experience. I had to build trust with them, right? I have to show mm-hmm. them that I can fit into this team. I, can, I have to show them that I can learn what I'm doing and bring something valuable. Um, because, you know, I know that I put vendors in that situation and I put these partners in that situation where you don't trust them. It's your first time doing something with them. They got to earn your trust and prove yourself. So I was on the other side of that, you know, at the start of the year in this new role. And I'll tell you what, best decision I've ever made though. It's, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a great, great thing and, and learning new stuff. And keeping your brain fresh is fantastic, but um, yeah, I mean that's that's the event stuff, man. Like it was a it was a wild roller coaster, from doing stuff for myself to doing stuff for clients, and just this whole plethora of of everything. Um, I don't know what else I got on that. I could talk about <laughs> this for, awesome. for years, but I'm trying yeah. to to summarize it for you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, I would say one huge takeaway is the value of relationship capital. Yeah. You guys, like relationships literally could make or break your career over. It. If you if you talk about this, so we were doing AGL. I think we probably met Matt and you, uh, UGC in, let's say, like 14 13. 13? Okay, 13. so 13. And then Brad's working for them, what, in 2018 or 19?
1: Yeah, 2018, yep.
0: Yep. So we're talking a four-year span, which with probably little to no contact, yep. because you know they're still doing their thing in the Halo scene, and I'm not really sure what else they do to be quite honest. But they're, they're doing really Gears of guys. War. They
1: did a bunch of stuff for Gears of War as well. Gears
0: of War. Yep. Cool. Really well deserved. And then four years later, they're putting on a Halo One tournament, and Brad has an instant in because they know Brad, right? So like, do not undervalue. I would say that like relationship capital might be like one of the biggest assets to business careers because it can literally get you almost anything you want. If that person knows you're trustworthy, knows your work ethic, knows your value, which they did of Brad because they've seen Brad do these streams at a very under budget yet overly delivered scenario when we had with AGL right? So that's amazing for number one. And for number two, it's really cool to hear your client experience because, you know, typically when we would do clothing Mm -hmm. um, and produce in that manner for other clients, it felt like it almost hindered our ability to be creative, right? Because they have such strict guidelines where it's like, no, you can't change our logo this color. Like, And we're like dude if you do like this slight small alteration to your logo like it's going to make the design look amazing then like absolutely not so (laughs) we have to design around that yeah which in my experience and i believe that you probably felt a little bit of the same way it wasn't as fun because it's like yeah like you know this is going to be so cool they're like well we can't do that And i'm like okay so you just want like your logo on the front of the shirt they're like yeah we're like Okay, yeah, well, all right.
1: There's definitely instances where like you can feel like the vendor or the client whoever you're working for is just going to completely own everything, right? And your opinion yeah. doesn't matter. What I have learned from working for clients and vendors working for us is value everybody's opinion because you have these people in these departments and situations because they are The experts, they are the ones who are knowledgeable about it. So like, if we're being hired for a certain thing, you got to trust us, right? Otherwise, why are you hiring us?
0: Right. Good point. But it's cool to see that you were able to step into a different scenario.
1: Yeah, where it wasn't externally from
0: what previously may have been way too controlled. And Mm -hmm. now you're able to bring your expertise and unleash this creativity, which I'm sure provided a ton of value. And, you know, they were able to see that and you were able to like feel good about doing that as opposed to being like stifled. Cause you know, when you're a creative entrepreneur, in my opinion, I'm sure you probably also agree that there's nothing worse than like having that being stifled down and being like, no, that's not how we're like, cause like you said, value everybody's opinion. Like if we're coming to you for clothing, you know, we've been doing clothing, we've been selling clothing, we see what sells. If you're not, if you're not, if you're just developing something new, it's like, you're just going off what you think is gonna look good. right? And we've done that and seen it not work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yep. Trust the people that you put in the positions you put them in. And that's, that's from vendors, clients to employees, to everything. Like you, you're not hiring somebody or working with somebody because you have to, you've chosen to do it in some, some realm of, of choosing. So you have to just trust them and, and hope, you know, for the best. That's all you can do.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's the life lesson right there along with many other ones. Thank you, Brad, for, uh, delivering all this knowledge, uh, extremely valuable lessons in here as well. Guys, even if you can't always relate to the stories in every facet, there are massive amount of underlying lessons, work ethics, uh, different mindsets that you can take away when you hear Brad and myself talk about how we do things, where we do it, when we do it. Cause, uh, you know, we've been lucky, but lucky as well as, you know, worked pretty hard to be where we've gotten to be. So um, we've had to overcome a lot of obstacles. And we hope that uh, every single part of the journey, including this amazing TV production journey that Brad's been on, has been super eye-opening, and enlightening of how to get yourself basically from uh, a high school diploma <laughs> all the way to the top level, right? And we judge high school diplomas like they're not valuable, but With work ethic and having the skill set to just learn everything and just be super hungry, you can virtually get to anywhere you want. And no piece of paper will dampen that for you when you become one of the best.
1: I agree 100%. All right,
0: guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys being here. We are going to see you out on that next episode next week, episode 14.